0: Good morning, Grace Church, Medina East Campus. My name is Clark Jeanette, and I help lead our young adult ministry called New Perspective and also help oversee our life groups and biblical community with Pastor Tony. And I'm really excited to be here with you uh, uh, folks this morning. If I've never met you before, uh, I'd love to connect with you out in our cafe uh, here this morning. Um, I was here teaching last weekend, and so um, I mentioned like I recently just got married, and so I'm really excited about the whole Uh, married life and uh, I love being on staff here. It's just uh, such an honor and a privilege to be a part of such an amazing team at Grace Church Medina East Campus and uh, love being under Pastor Tony's leadership and Pastor Seth's leadership. Just learned so much from those guys and so uh, love being a part of this team. Uh, Been on staff since 2013 and I just love being able to get to do what I do and uh, love our congregation. So That's a little bit about me, but uh, we've kicked off a conversation last week. Um, In case you weren't here, I'll give you a quick recap of what this conversation is kind of all about. But as you can tell uh, from the picture on the screen, it's called GC3, A Vision for the Great Life. And so uh, basically what we said is that uh, we all kind of share this one uh, common denominator. At least I hope that we do. We all want to live a great life, like regardless of who you are, Uh, What your background is, Um, my guess is many of us, we want to live a great life. And so we said, what does that look like exactly? And so we uh, asked, like, is success, uh, is that what a great life looks like? Um, And we said, uh, do we just kind of define what a great life looks like uh, on our own? And so we kind of came to the conclusion, like, if it's not success, if we don't define it, then what does the Bible have to say about living a great life? And so that's kind of what this series has, uh, this conversation has kind of been all about. If you missed any of it, you can go to our uh, website at medinaeast.graceohio.org, and you can get caught up with the sermons there, or you can uh, go to our podcast and search uh, Grace Ohio and get uh, caught up that way as well, and find the Medina East Campus But uh, basically, in a nutshell, the conversation is that Christianity uh, isn't merely just avoiding hell. It's actually a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And uh, basically, what we're saying is that when we say yes to Jesus, we're actually saying yes to something else as well. And let me show you what I'm talking about here. Basically, we said... When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to his great commandment, which is in the New Testament of our Bibles in Matthew chapter 22. And this is what we're going to double-click on today, uh, in fact, and we'll get to that here in a second. But basically, Jesus says to love God and to love your neighbor. And uh, we also said when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to his great commission. And this is where Jesus commissions his disciples after his crucifixion and his resurrection. Jesus is on top of this mountain in Galilee and he looks to his disciples and he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the great commission. And the third one here, we're calling it the great comforter. And so this is uh, particularly found in the Gospel of John in the New Testament, uh, chapters 14 through 16. And basically what we said here is that uh, the series is called GC3, A Vision for the Great Life. The GC3 stands for the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, and the Great Comforter. And so like I said, we're saying that a a, a vision for the great life, if we were to look at what the Bible has to say, we say that God's vision for our lives is is that when we say yes to Jesus, we'll say yes to these three things as well. And so that's kind of um, the way to think about it. We said, if you can think of it this way, imagine kind of like a three-legged stool. And so uh, just imagine each one of these uh, grates or each one of these passages kind of represents a different pillar or different leg of that stool. So what we're doing is we're kind of building a, a theological foundation that we can kind of say, all right, when I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying yes to, to the three greats here found in our New Testament Bible. And so that's kind of uh, where we're going here. And uh, like I said, today I want to specifically look at this uh, great commandment right here, the great commandment, which is in Matthew 22. But before we do that, uh, let me, uh, let's talk to God. Well, Father, I just want to say thank you uh, so much for your uh, great commandment. And uh, Lord, I just specifically want to pray for every single person that's in this room this morning. Uh, God, I, I know that... Uh, Lord, some of us, some of us might be uh, pursuing a relationship with you, and uh, maybe some of us are just investigating this whole Jesus thing. Uh, maybe some of us are dragged here this morning. I don't know, God, but uh, just pray for all of us here. I uh, pray that as we look at Matthew 22 and our Bibles, Lord, that you would you would just make a, um, this picture of this great life, this vision for the great life. Um, I pray you'd make that clear to us this morning, God. Help my words not to be uh, mine, but to be to be yours, God. So. I want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to get into this passage here a little bit. But before I do, I want to share a quick story with you guys. So a little bit about me. Uh, like I said, I've been on staff here since 2013. I just got married recently. Um, I want to share a quick story about when I was 16 years old, I got my driver's license, like a lot of 16-year-olds, right? And I remember the, the car that I got was, was really not that great. It was a 1994 Ford Tempo anyway, it got, the, it got the job done, right? As they say, like, I just need something to get me from point A to point B. When I got this car, my dad was like, all right, son, you've got one mission with this car, and here's your one mission. It's to keep gas in the car. <laughs> this thing does not run off air. And so, basically, I'm like, okay, I can, I can do that. I think I can manage to keep gas in the car. Well, around right this time, I got all these birthday cards, and in a lot of these cards, there wasn't a lot of birthday money. But there was a lot of gift cards for gas stations. So like Marathon and BP and Circle K, right? So anyway, I got this idea in my head that, uh, you know, they're gas station gift cards. So it can buy anything I want from a gas station, right? So me being 16 years old and really the age is not even an excuse. I'm just as clueless and unaware as I was then (laughs) right now. Let's just be honest. If you know my wife, just ask her. She'll tell you. But I went into these gas stations, I kid you not, this is the most irresponsible thing I've ever done. I went in and I bought like, so just so you know, these gift cards added up to like $100, $150. I went to these gas stations and I bought Slim Jims with all the gift cards. And so I was like, man, this is great. Like, I love Slim Jims. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be stocked up for a while. a couple weeks passed and I went up to my mom and dad and I was like, hey, um, can I have some gas money? And they were like, what are you talking about? And they had the most perplexed, confused look on their face. And they're like, are you really asking us for gas money? Like, you ha- dude, you had like $150 of gas station gift cards. Like, how did you go through that much gas already? And I was like, oh, that was for gas. Okay. It just like all clicked. And so I was like, all right, I see, I see what's going on here. This is a really irresponsible thing that I did. <laughs> anyway, the reason I tell you that is because my dad was like, your one mission is to keep gas in the car. And somehow, I drifted from that mission, obviously, because I had like $150 of Slim Jims, right? My mom and dad, they were like, your aunt and uncles, your, your family, you know, they didn't get you those gift cards so that you would buy beef jerky with that. They got you that so that you would put gasoline in your car. That's why they're gas station gift cards anyway. That just shows how irresponsible I am. But the reason I tell you that is because what was my one mission? That my dad was like, keep gas in the car. I drifted from that mission, and I got preoccupied with myself. I started thinking, man, how awesome, how sweet would it be to have this many Slim Jims, right? And I started to drift from my mission, obviously. (laughs) And see, that's that's what can happen uh, with the church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone that would claim to call yourself a Christian, You know this and I know this, that we can drift from our mission if we're not careful. And that's kind of the conversation for today is that God gives us this one mission. And he's like, all right, Christians, Jesus followers, you've got one mission. And that mission is to love God and to love people. That's your one mission. And see, we can drift from that mission so easily. I know for me, I'm so tempted to get preoccupied with with something else other than loving God and loving people. I'll give you a couple examples. We can get preoccupied with a lot of different things. Maybe for some of us, uh, I don't know if any of you or not, but for some Christians, we can get preoccupied with like end times, eschatology. Like, Like when is Jesus coming back? Like who is the antichrist? And Christians can get preoccupied with that kind of stuff. Uh, For some of us, we can get preoccupied with event logistics or the weekend attendance and and the numbers, right? And and numbers matter because people count. But at the end of the day, when you get so preoccupied with that, what happens? Well, we drift from the mission, our one mission of loving God and loving people. And see, sometimes we can drift from the mission in other other ways. We can get preoccupied with, with, are they going to play my favorite song? Or, oh man, I hope they teach on this. And we just get preoccupied with things that, that we start to drift from the one mission that God has called his people to. So if you're a follower of Jesus, our one mission is to love God and to love people. Fortunately for us, we're not the first people to struggle with this. The people in Jesus' day, they did as well. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 22 And I don't have it on the screen, but it's actually page number 692 in those black Bibles. So 692 in those black Bibles. And we always say it here, like, if you don't have um, your own copy of the Bible, go ahead and take one of ours. We'll make that a gift from us to you. Just go ahead, and write your name on the inside. We think it's really important for you to own your own personal copy of God's Word. And if you're like me, you're more of a digital person, you can go to our app store and you can just search uh, uh, Grace Ohio and you can get the Grace Church app, and you can get to today's passage of study that way as well. So, however, you get there, Matthew 22, that's where we're going to be camping out today. And just to give you a little bit of context of kind of where we're going. So, the book of Matthew is the first book of our New Testament. And uh, the person Matthew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was a tax collector, and he is one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' earthly ministry, um, as well as his crucifixion, the resurrection. And so what Matthew's doing here is he's kind of giving us a window in Matthew 22. It's, it's getting to the, uh, the the last week of Jesus' earthly stay. So a lot of people commonly call this uh, Passion Week. And it just means that it's leading up to the cross. And so at this point in time uh, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and he's kind of colliding with all these other religious uh, teachers and, and uh, debating and they're trying to trap Jesus uh, with these questions. And so Uh, Notice what happens uh, in this passage. We're going to break in at verse uh, 34. And it says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And I want you to notice in verse uh, 35, it says one of them was an expert in the law. And basically what that means is that the law is like the, some people call it the Mosaic Law. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. And so whether you care or not, there was over 600 commands in the Old Testament. And uh, I'll tell you why that's important here in a minute. But basically this guy was an expert in it. Like he knew his Bible pretty well. And so uh, anyway, it says that he tested him, tested Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so let me kind of give you uh, an idea of what's happening here. So this, this group of religious leaders, right, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you can just forget the names. It's not so much about the names. It's more about what they're about. They're the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're, they're coming together so that they can question Jesus and trap him. So they've got this really, really smart religious scholar of the Old Testament with them. He's kind of the big gun that they're sending in, right, to question Jesus, to trap Jesus. And they think that when they have this guy up against Jesus, that Jesus is this guy from Nazareth. He's like this, you know, this country bumpkin, like, guy that's really not educated. He's not part of the elite class of the religious scholars. And so they're like, he's going to knock them out in the first round. They have no idea that they're dealing with the, the creator and sustainer of all things. And so notice what happens here. They tested him with this question, teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so notice that word greatest right there. Again, wh- whether you care or not, this word greatest in the original language, it's actually the word "megas," which if you think of like a megaphone or if you think of, you know, talking to one of your friends and you're like, you know, this, this, this person's like mega athletic or this person's mega attractive or like this person's like, you know, mega something, right? It means like weighty or great. So he says, teacher... Which is the greatest command? Like, which is the mega command? So notice the way Jesus responds. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is the mega commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in other words, if scripture was like a door, the hinges would be love God, love people. No pressure, right? <laughs> anyway, so he starts out here with the word love. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The word love there is agapow. You can forget that, but basically it just means to, to, uh, to take pleasure in. It means to show love. So how do you do that? Well, Jesus tells us. The, the key word here is all Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You see, we can love the Lord our God with our heart, but then our mind could be somewhere else, right? If you're anything like me, you've experienced that. Anyway, it says all is kind of the key word. It's our entire being with our heart, with our affections, with our minds, with our thoughts, with our soul, right? What's beneath our skin, everything that makes you, God says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of that. And I think it's worth mentioning, too, that Jesus is actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, and this would have been a verse that was really, really familiar with the Jewish people, and even today, the Jewish people will will, uh, recite this verse a couple times a day. And so Jesus, he passes the test, totally passes the test, then he doesn't stop there, because notice what else he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, I think it's worth mentioning as well that he's quoting from this, uh, the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And so Jesus says that uh, the greatest command, the mega command, is to have this divine love for God, this vertical relationship and divine love for God. But then equally, he puts both of these on the same shelf. He fuses Leviticus with Deuteronomy, makes it one mega command. He says, divine love for God will produce and flow into a, a uh, horizontal love for other people interpersonal love for other people you used to go what does that look like exactly well i'll tell you what it doesn't look like the bible uses really strong language for the way that we should love god and love others and in first john it says whoever claims to love god yet hates a brother or sister is a liar i mean that's really really strong language And he says, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, you know, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, I can't be like, man, I really love God, but I hate that guy over there. Or, man, I really love God, but I hate that barista at Starbucks. Or, man, I I really love God, but, man, I hate hate that person in my family, you know. See, the, the follower of Jesus has to have a divine love for God a vertical love for God, and, and that should overflow into an interpersonal love towards other people, towards my neighbor. And so what does this neighborly love look like? Well, it looks a lot like this. It looks a lot like the more I love God, the more and more I love God, the more and more I'm gonna love what God loves. Just for kind of a silly example, um, I told you guys, like, I, I recently just got married, and so before I met my wife, Amanda, the last thing that I ever wanted to do was go shopping. But Amanda, she really loves shopping, specifically TJ Maxx and Target. I know this because I go there with her. And so she loves doing that. Like it's an adventure for her. Like she just will roam around until something jumps out at her. And it's just like all about the adventure, right? For me, I like, before I met Amanda, like I would make a beeline to the counter. I'd be like, do you work here? I'd be like, here's my size. Here's how much I'm willing to spend. Can we get this going? Like, I got to go home and grill, watch a movie, go to bed. <laughs> anyway, that's just a typical guy. I don't know if, you're, if you can identify with that. But to my wife, she's, she's all about the adventure. And so anyway, before I met Amanda, you could not drag me to, you couldn't pay me to go to the store, go to the mall. The idea of, of, of shopping and, and toting a bunch of bags to the car, like that's just, I just groan at the idea of that. But see, when I, when I met Amanda, my idea of, of TJ Maxx and Target, it all changed all of a sudden. Well, what happened. The more and more I grew to love my wife, the more and more I grew to love the things that she loves. And so because I love Amanda, I love Target. I love TJ Maxx. Because I get to do that with her, I get to journey with her. Because I love my wife, I start to love the things that she loves. See, it's the same way with Jesus. You know, the more and more I I love Christ, the more and more I will love the things that, that God loves. And so what does that look like? Well, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son So that we wouldn't condemn, so he wouldn't condemn the world, but so that he would save the world. And so if I'm going to love God, then I'm going to love the world. You see, if I love God, then I'm also going to, I'm going to love the lost. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. And so if I love Jesus, I'm going to love the lost. See, If I love Jesus, I'm going to love the church. Because the Bible says that Jesus died for his church in Ephesians 5. And so the more and more I love God, the more and more I'm going to love the things that he loves. And see, that's kind of how it works. Jesus painted a really, really verbal picture of this neighborly love in Luke chapter 10. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's called the parable of the good Samaritan. Let's look at it real quickly. You don't have to turn there. I'll just put it on the screen. Uh, The Bible says in Luke 10, breaking in at 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Notice what it says here. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? A lot of commentators speculate that when he asked that question, who is my neighbor, in other words, he was basically like, tell me who I need to love so then I know who I can treat like garbage. And so anyway, Jesus goes on to tell him this parable and he's just like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Let me tell you a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan. And so the, you know, it's a, you almost got a gasp at the Samar- oh, Samaritan, because the Jewish people they hated the Samaritans; they would call them half-breeds. And so he says, "But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went not only that; he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring." on oil and wine. This doesn't make much sense to us now, but this have been like a first aid kit in the first century world. And then he put the man on his own donkey. How about that? He put him on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. So denarii is basically a day's worth of wages. So he took out two days worth of wages, gave them to the innkeeper, he says, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And notice the way that the expert in the law answers them here. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Basically, Jesus is like, once upon a time, there was a guy who got beat up really, really bad. And there was three guys involved. The first guy was a priest. He saw him. He just kept walking on the other side of the road. The second guy was a Levite did the same thing. The third guy, who's a Samaritan, he went to this guy, he saw him, took pity on him, he bandaged him, took the first aid kit, put him in a holiday inn. He said, whatever you need to take care of this dude, I'll come back, I'll reimburse you. He's like, which one of these guys did the right thing? He's like, the one who took mercy on him. Anyway, Jesus is basically like, your neighbor is not always the person who looks like you, who sounds like you, who shares the same background as you. Jesus says, your neighbor is the person in your proximity. He says, and you are are to love God supremely and to love others sacrificially, regardless of whether they look like you, sound like you, share the same background as you. And, And Jesus says that this is what it looks like to have neighborly love. It's a sacrificial love towards other people. And so this is a lot easier said than done, obviously, you know, this looks really good on paper, right? Divine love from God, interpersonal love with people, love God supremely, love others sacrificially. It looks really good on paper, but it's really, really hard to do. And I think I think God knows that, and I think that's why He talks about it in His Word. Let me show you another um, version of this story in the Gospel of Mark. You see, in some gospels you can read the same story twice. You can have one story in Luke, one in Mark, and one in Matthew. And sometimes you'll find some really cool stuff. Let me show you something, that's in the Gospel of Mark. And for the sake of our conversation, I'm just going to skip to the really, really good part. So Let me show you this. In Mark chapter 12, the Bible tells us this. Well said, teacher. The man replied, you're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, To love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So you can tell it's the same story, it just says it a little bit different. So notice what it says next. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Notice that. Same story, different ending. You are not far from the kingdom of God. This is not good news. You know why it's not good news? Because loving God and loving people can't get you into heaven. Loving God and loving people is a response to something else that took place. Loving God and loving people is a response to the gospel, to the good news that God sent his one and only Son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. God clothed himself in humanity, became a man lived a life we couldn't live, died a death we couldn't die, rose from the grave, defeated Satan, sin, and death. He says that is how you get into heaven. This is not good news because, what's he say? You're not far from the kingdom of God. You see, the question is, how far is not far? I don't know about you, but I'm really bad at directions. And you could be not far from somewhere and still be lost. And so the question is, If loving God and loving people can't get you into heaven, then how does this whole thing work? How do we we find the proper motivation to love God, to love people? Because I got to be honest, me, myself, even on my best day, I can't love God and love people. I don't have it in me to do that. And my guess is some of you can identify with me in that. It's hard. People, relationships, it's hard stuff. God knows that it's hard. And so I can't love God. I can't love people. Where am I going to find the motivation to do that? Well, the Bible tells us. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. If you want to know what love is, here it is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says that we didn't love God. God made the first move. God came to us. God put on skin God became a man. God died a death that we couldn't die. God rose from the dead. God defeated Satan, sin, and death. That's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is that we're more messed up than we think we are. I'm more messed up than I think I am. We're all more messed up than we think we are. But in that same breath, we are more loved than we can ever dare to imagine. Why? Because God sent his one and only son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And here's what this means. I wrote it down in my notes. And I think some of you really need to hear this. And it it was so helpful for me. And I I don't want to say it wrong. That's why I wrote it down. It says, God does not love you because you are lovable. You are lovable because God loves you. If you're taking notes, I'd write that down. God does not love you because you're lovable. You are lovable because God loves you. Do you believe that? I mean, do you actually believe that in your heart, that God, the creator and sustainer of everything, loves you? See, for some of us, if you're anything like me, before I came to accept Jesus in my life, before I said yes to Jesus, you might be sitting here this morning, some of you. You might be thinking, Clark, man, if you knew my story, man, if you knew where I came from, if you knew the parties that I've been to, if you know the heinous, the ugly things that I've said and done, you wouldn't even want to talk to me. Can I just tell you something? God knows everything. God knows everything about you. The Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. The Bible says that God knows every hair on your head. God is love. Let me tell you something God does not love you because you're lovable, you are lovable because God loves you. How much does He love you? Enough to send his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God did that for me. God did that for you. God did that for all of us. And all we have to do is say yes to Jesus. That's all we got to do. You just got to say, Jesus, yes, I believe that what you did, that was for me. That was for my sin. That when you were nailed to the cross, my sins were nailed to the cross Bible tells us in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, nor height, nor death, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's available to you, for you, today, to all of us. That love, the source of the love that motivates us to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's available to each and every one of you. And all you have to do it's, it's not hard. You don't have to do anything weird. You got to sacrifice a cat or anything weird like that. You just got to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. You died in my place. That, that, that God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus, that God loves you that much. And if you believe that, if you confess that to God, if you say yes to Jesus, you can have a relationship with Jesus. You can tell I'm really passionate about this. Because it's true. It's the most beautiful message that you could ever hear. That you could ever share. And so that's what it means. And if you want to boil it down, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm from Doylestown. <laughs> I'm not part of the elite and the educated. So I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy. No, but seriously. Seriously. I love when things are boiled down. So let me boil it down even further for you. Memorize this verse right here. We love because God first loved us. We love because he first loved us. God went first. God gave us his best. And so he says, I want your best. And so when we love God supremely, that will produce this, this flow of loving others sacrificially and that's, that's what love is. God is love. God went first. And so let me give us a couple closing, closing questions here. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus or if you're someone that's investigating Jesus, here is the question you gotta ask yourself. Whom or what do I love supremely? Whom or what do I love supremely? If I love golf supremely, that's gonna shape my life trajectory. If I love playing guitar supremely, that's gonna shape my life trajectory. See how that works? If I love God supremely, that will ultimately shape my life trajectory. It's gonna show up in how I live my life. It could be a living expression of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Here's another question, and this is more specifically uh, for Christians. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and like I said, I know that not everyone is, But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, ask yourself this question, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And like we said, it's the person that's in your proximity. So if you're single and you're in college, your roommate is your neighbor. If you're married, your spouse is your neighbor. Your family is your neighbor. The barista at Starbucks, that's your neighbor. (laughs) If you go to Buffalo Wild Wings later for lunch or on tap, your server is your neighbor. What's the Bible say to Christians? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God supremely. Love others sacrificially. So what do I love supremely? Who is my neighbor? Well, I'll ask the band to come up now. And as they do, I just want us to think again about this idea of uh, drifting from mission You know, I talked a little bit earlier about how I spent that gift card, right? I spent that gift card for the gas stations on on Slim Jims, right? It was pretty irresponsible. Well, the way we gotta think about this, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen when I say this, mission drifts. And we can drift from the mission. We can drift from this mission, our one mission of loving God and loving people. And, And and the reality is we we know this. If you're a follower of Jesus, I know this, you know this, that mission can drift. But we know that there's a lot more at stake than an empty gas tank, right? And I don't want to have to stand before the Lord Almighty in heaven and give an account to me spending all my gift cards on Slim Jims. Tracking me? Tracking with me? And so the reality is there's a lot at stake. There's souls at stake. There's lives at stake here. And when we spend and invest our lives the way I spent and invested my gift cards, right? It looks a lot like spending your life on Slim Jims. And so let's spend and invest our lives in loving God and loving people. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Let me pray for us. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for your great commandment. And, God, I just want to say thank you for the command to love you and to love people. Lord, as we sing this song together, Lord, Lord, I pray that we could could see that your love is all around, God. Your love is all around. And Lord, as we sing that, I pray that we would know that it's available too, that it's utterly available to each and every one of us. And that when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to the great commandment. Lord, I pray for anybody who's investigating you, Jesus, anybody who's wrestling these questions to the ground, whom or what do I love supremely, and who is my neighbor? We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, Jesus. We love because you first loved us, and I just want to pray this in your name, amen.